Welcome to Diffuse Congruence. This is the American Muslim Experience. My name is Zaki Hassan. Joining me is Pervez Ahmed. Hey, welcome back, listeners. Good to have you guys back. Good to be back, Zaki. And we're actually sitting here in the presence of each other, which is rare. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 I've almost forgot how you look like. Which well, we can't stand each other. That's kind of the, the dirty secret of the show. We're like Laverne and Shirley, the final season. They had to record them separately or something? Yeah, they they can they hated each other. Or, like, remember Three's Company, like, when, when Suzanne Summers left? Right. They would she, do, like, the Chrissy phone call. Are we supposed to talk about Three's Company on the show? Why so, you know, Archie Punjabi hated uh, uh, Juliana yeah, Margulies? Yeah, that's right, on The Good Wife, Yeah, right? and so they, they, recorded ha- they had separately. to record separately and then digitally insert you know them later. I heard it on your podcast. Yeah, yeah. Your sister, you, our, our sister podcast, movie The movie film, film podcast, by the way. <laughs> it's because Archie uh, got to fame too quick and got nominated before Juliana. So which one's Juliana? Which one's Archie? Juliana is from uh, which? From oh, no, no, how about you? ER. Of you guys. Oh, I don't know. Hey, I, I can see Zucky doing that to you, Pervez. Oh, in a heartbeat. <laughs> I'd drop him like a bag of dirt. Are you kidding me? He knows it, too. He just replaces you. He yeah. just replaces you with another uh, hipster uncle. This young I, uncle. I, I would, I would wait, find somebody who else named. Who, who rose to fame earlier or too soon and then uh, like so, left so, the other behind? So, you so, said Archie did. No, Archie got nominated first. First, okay. And so even though Juliana was on the perch, she felt threatened by Archie's gotcha. rise. So that, then you'd be Archie. I'd be Juliana. Be, no, you'd be Archie. I've been really? in the trenches for like 30 freaking years. Oh, okay. And who gets the White House invite? You do. That's a good point. <laughs> and you can sense the bitterness there, too. <laughs> I know. Wow. It's coming out. Hey, dude, it was Obama. If he got the invite now, I'd be like... <laughs> if I got the invite, I, I wouldn't go. Right? Like, no one cares who got the invite, but who got it first? <laughs> you, Zaki. So that's Bajaj Atali, whose voice you... I didn't do the intro for him. Bajaj's playing like armchair, you know, uh, I'm psychi- just trying, I'm trying psychiatrist for us. I'm trying to get them to kill each other. <laughs> by the end of this episode. This is the end of Diffuse Congruence. After dark. I'm trying to see, like, fitna. How much fitna can I cause? Like, how much innate jealousy and, like, ill will can well, you don't need that's been the, hidden beneath the, the surface the, of brotherly love? The truth is that if you were to read our text conversations, you don't need to start much fitna. Because I'm mean. Should, I know. I, I'm very passive-aggressive. Like, at any given time, I get a text from Pervez, and I'm pretty sure it's, like, gutti. Like, at that moment, he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I've had it. Gutti? Is it? Wow, he went gutti. Cutty man. That's that's Cutty is hardcore. It is hardcore. That's a deep cut. We're we're related through marriage. That's the only reason that that's we're, we stand we're each other. I can see Pervez as like the quintessential like Hyderabadi like proper meaty churi type of like you know like the <laughs> sweet knife. Is like oh so being overweight is in season now. And you're like what? Did you just call me fat? Of course not. That's a nice hat to hide your baldness. It's like I can see Pervez just like death by a thousand passive aggressive hydro cuts. Is that apt, Pervez? It is very apt. Oh, there we go. You nailed okay. it. If my wife ever listens to an episode, she would totally agree with you. It's a big if. If my wife ever listens. Because Pervez is like God-fearing man and like, you know, a father, but you could tell like that bitterness is there. Like if he wasn't religious and grounded, like he could be an ISIS general. <laughs> Oh, man. But like a smart one, you know, like the Baghdadi who has like religious education, who can ground it in like hadith. <laughs> I'm not sure what kind of compliment yeah, I, I, I don't know how to take that. Because Zaki would be like the, the nerd boy yeah. recruiter on Twitter, right? Like, Thank yeah. you. Be like, yo, but like Pervez would be like the general. He'd be like, let me tell you the theological background of why you're kafir. <laughs> Excellent. But you have a nice, yeah. but you have a nice head of hair. At least I know I have a good gig waiting for me. There you yeah. go. Yeah. So we went from the Laverne and Shirley to ISIS recruits. <laughs> wow, that's we're running the gamut here. That's right. That's right. So, so again, this thank is, you this for is, having me. Yeah, this is this is what Jihad, This is his second time on the show. Second time, right? Yes. Se- this, second yeah. time. The the first time was you know the first time we had you on. You were still at Al Jazeera. 
Yes. And and um, I remember was, doing it from my apartment in Virginia. Okay. Were, so before then, we had a kid, I think. Yes. Oh, is that right? Yes. Okay. And and we were discussing the uh, uh, Barakat and and uh, that had just happened. That had wow. just happened. Yeah. That's very shortly there. So yeah. that's like the so that would have been. 2015? Yeah, February, I think two years ago. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, so February. so uh, about two years apart. Okay, so so we're, we are recording uh, uh, here in the Santa Clara Convention Center. You're in town for the uh, open conference, and so we got some FaceTime with you. Do, do the, the listeners know what open is? I was just about to say, for, the, for those who don't know, Well, tell I was going to say, like, yeah. maybe you can... So open is, uh, open Silicon Valley is uh, like the Voltron uh, of all the wealthy Pakistani uncles who would never give us the time of day who I think five or ten years ago, we can easily say we're like a bunch of <laughs> but now are... <laughs> We've never had to... <laughs> That's going to be a bleep. That's, That's going to be a bleep. bleep. Out but uh, Indian profanity. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, We've had F-bombs dropped. Yeah. So you, you're going to have to bleep this out because like, I talked to an open uncle and he's like, yeah, you're right, like ten years ago we weren't <laughs> But now we're like, you know, more engaged. So basically it's like all these wealthy, mashallah, yeah. immigrant... Pakistani entrepreneurs who made it and for like the last 10 like they've been evolving but like when we used to go like 10 years ago it used to be kind of like I'm wealthy you're not let me tell you why I'm not but now it's become more engaged and integrated they have youth there it's like much more of a solid conference and I think they've gone from 400 people to 1,000 people they have some very influential people giving speeches good networking and so we are now competing with a shoe conference a sneaker shoe it's conference true. and all the kids of the open uncles have <laughs> left open to try to sneak into the sneaker conference that's happening and uh, we're in the parking lot at apparently Levi Stadium I've finally seen this monstrosity up close oh yeah you've never I've never been, been so oh that's right this is interesting but Great America's still here so that's yes, good yes it is yeah. still here and now there's a Borchi Indian restaurant across the street so we're oh, making it's our it's called Borchi yeah. it's called Borchi <laughs> yeah, it's called Borchi it's called Borchi yeah. Indian cuisine <laughs> no it is it is it's yeah. See, I'm like, Perez, like, you're just lying. I'm like, nope. <laughs> I drive by every day, yeah. So that's open. So, so this is, uh, by happenstance, we're recording on the 100th day of the Trump administration. Oh, this is day 100. Mashallah. Yeah. And, Stop and, for a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> now, now it's, it's funny, right? Because th- there's been a lot of talk over the past couple of days about, oh, man, he hasn't gotten anything done over the past 100 days. What a joke. And I'm kind of like... Isn't it a good thing that he hasn't gotten anything done? I mean, that's isn't that pretty that, much... That's something we should give, like, Turakat That's, like, the best-case yeah. scenario in this whole thing, isn't that's it? That's right. Yes and no. And so, mm. so, look, the President of the United States still is the commander-in-chief of the nation of 300-plus million people of what used to be the most powerful nation on Earth. Mm. And for whether we like it or not, he is the representative uh, on the international stage of our country. Um, his, his belligerent tweets, his... his idiotic flip-flopping, his lack of temperament, make us look like, you know, like we're a bunch of jokers and clowns. And they're having effect on the international market, they're having effect on foreign policy. So in a way, yes, Allah Ta'ala Shukr that like, you know, the core of his ideological policies have failed. Let's let's do a checklist. First day, I'm gonna repeal and replace Obamacare. That's right. Nope, complete yeah. failure. And in fact, the replacement that you came up with was hated by your own party. I'm gonna do a Muslim ban, block twice. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem it's gonna go through. Uh, three, lock her up. She's not locked up. You're probably going to play golf with her uh, in four years or when you resign uh, or get kicked out. Uh, fourth, m- uh, the Mexican wall. Build the wall. Yeah, yeah, which this week finally, you know, he tried to threaten uh, the Democrats and say tit for tat funding. You know, I'm going to s- 
I'm, I'm going to take away the Is Obama subsidies. A dollar of funding yeah. for Obamacare for a dollar of funding for the wall. And Democrats said F you and Republicans themselves said nope. And what happened? He's like, okay, okay, I'm going to let the government go on for one more week and approve of this, you know, this, this, this spending bill. But it seems unlikely that's going to happen. Um, infrastructure development. He, remember he said, like, I'm going to do like trillion dollars worth of in- infrastructure investment, which would, gotten, which, have got, which would have gotten him bipartisan support. You saw his budget. He was actually taking money away from the infrastructure right. and Rust Belt development. Mm-hmm. And so across the board, uh, yes, in a way, oh, alhamdulillah, his most odious racist policies are failing. But we still have him in, as president. We still have Republicans who haven't abandoned him. Republicans are still governors. And his base, only 2% of his base, 2%, yeah. uh, said they have buyer's regret. And so, well, well, oh, I mean, so, I mean, it just shows you, like, in one way, yes, thank God where we're not building a wall and getting deported in Muslim camps. But other ways, but, but like... That, I mean, that, that okay, so, so the, the, the Muslim camps thing, which kind of made for black humor, I guess, during the campaign, that was always a, you know, it was a reach in terms of, mm. right, I mean, in terms of, the, it, it was a rhetorical reach and that that's not something that even he was talking about. So I traveled. Can I just say interject? So I've been deliberately doing this dark humor joke across America. I went to the DNC convention in Philadelphia and talked to Trump supporters. I went to... I saw uh, that. That was on... Uh, HuffPo. Yeah, it was I on HuffPo. It was I was in, video. I was in Maine at a Trump rally where I was the literally the only reporter, like two weeks before the election, hmm. and the only person of color. And on Twitter and on email, very well-known, respected journalists literally said, this is the first time this ever happened to me, be safe. Wow. Just to go, respected people. I'm talking about non-Muslims, right? Mm-hmm. I openly said this. I said, okay, if Trump wins, will you go visit me in the camps? And his supporters, and even some Bernie brothers, you were like, ha, he's not going to do that. Okay, I'll play this game with you. Like kind of dark, cathartic humor to get. Mm-hmm. Sure. After the election, I deliberately do this joke again at speeches. And there used to be like a ha, ha, <laughs> beforehand. No one laughs now. Mm-hmm. No one. Like across America. It's almost as if this might happen. Hmm. Um, and that's something because people forget dude he said he went permanent Muslim ban then he changed it to temporary Muslim ban then he said Muslim extreme vetting of Muslims but this is the thing that people forget he entertained a Muslim registry people always forget that and we're in the 75th anniversary of the American internment of Japanese uh, American citizens Mm -hmm. people forget that him and his surrogates actually favorably referred to the internment of American right. Japanese. Okay. He, he himself did as well. People forget this because he's done so much crazy crap. People say, well, look what FDR did with the executive order. And uh, they've named bridges after him. And so this is something like Steve Bannon's still there, Steve Millen's, Stephen Miller's still there, Jeff Sessions is still there. It, we have to, in my humble opinion, uh, be very vigilant. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I didn't want to go on a tangent, but you no, brought I that up. An, no, I think it's an important point. And then, I mean, and then the Japanese internment is still good law you know, on the books. Korematsu was... Uh, Korematsu know, has never been, you know... Uh, <laughs> yeah. The Supreme Court ruled against him. That's right. And then Bill Clinton then apologized, but Pirby... Pirby, and it's yeah. still good law. Yeah. Right? It's still precedent. Huh. And it's an executive order. Yeah. And it was done uh, under the auspices of... National secu- War. Right, national, war security, national security. Uh, espionage. You can't trust them. That's right. And uh, America went with yeah. it. Exactly. So we're not that most... Like, all it takes sometimes is... And I'm an optimist, but I'm, I'm a pragmatist also. Yeah. Like, it just takes one guy who looks like us 
to do something crazy. Yeah, and do something insane. That's it. That's right. Yeah. Especially with this president. I mean, people are almost talking about it in hushed tones. Yeah, no. But just imagine. We're well, and, I mean, one I mean, terrorist attack yeah, away well, and, from and, God knows and what. And I think, I think it was Michael Moore last week or something. was like, I'm terrified about the Reichstag fire. That's you know, oh, There you go. Which is, I mean, when you talk about hushed tones, I think, I think everyone in the Muslim community has that concern of, God forbid, the I mean, that's an existential, con- you know what I mean? That, sure, that is no ex- an existential concern for the Muslim community. But, so, or for, for so, I think. But however, here's, here's and, and this is, I think, a devil's advocate thing just as much as anything else. I think that these past hundred days have shown why we have cause for concern, not just as Muslims, but as, as citizens, but also the strength of the system yeah. in, that, in that, you know, when, when he was sworn in, there were think pieces like, why I'm terrified of the next hundred days or whatever, and the truth is, what we've seen, you know, that litany that you listed, mm-hmm. the strict, the, the the structure of our government is such that even people who you, who you might have vehement ideological disagreements with, still, notwithstanding the president, but the other, uh, you know, the uh, the other houses, you know, the Senate and the House, well, more the Senate really, uh, are able to sort of tamp down on some of the extreme craziness that's not to say something extreme couldn't slip through that but definitely no so the, it's, it's the strength of the system and the strength of American de- democracy and our structures despite you know the incompetence and the bloat and whatever criticism you have is that there's resistance like judges yeah judges are doing their job sitting on an island in the Pacific yes, sitting yeah. on that island in the Pacific I'm gonna double down on and say another racist comment because I'm Jeff Sessions but I say everything with a nice little southern accent so I can't be racist right because look at me I look like a, the chief elf a keyboard elf yeah, but and I, I'm a southern so come on y'all Let's have marmalade sandwiches. Because anyone like, who eats a marmalade like Smeagol, sandwich. Right? Am I the only one who thinks that? I is? think he looks like the head Keebler elf. Remember the Keebler elf commercial? Sure. Just, just oh, go yeah. back and look at it. He looks oh, yeah. like that guy with the, without the topi, though. For sure, without the topi. But, but you know, that's that's something yeah. that I was having a conversation with someone recently. Is like, you see the judges doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. You see even congressmen uh, within his own party. Yeah, uh, pushing back. Right. Uh, you're seeing the House Intelligence Another Committee. Perfect Southern gentleman, like uh, you know, what's his name? Uh, Lindsey uh, Lindsey Graham Lindsey Graham that's right. from South Carolina that's right uh, or even the House Intelligence yeah. Committee despite Nunez that's right. being shady as hell okay. like, but he had to step back because yeah. enough pressure came yeah. right yeah. and then even with the Senate if they don't go for the nuclear option when it comes to legislation which they might after it passed with Gorsuch yeah. he still needs two thirds yeah. which he doesn't have what do you make of the inter- like, like I'm, I'm sorry to keep but like, what do you make of the internal shuffle within the White House in terms of like if there's this big feud between Kushner, oh, Jared, Jared Kushner, and and uh, Steve Bannon. Dude, dude, is this like a nufsy nufsy battle right. of spoiled, like uh, arrogant children? For sure. And what you're de- basically dealing with are smart people who do not have experience and competence in running a government. Right. That's the main problem. And so my friends who are in the State Department, my friends who are in like the Department of Justice, dude, like the this is the leakiest administration in history. And these are many of them are Republicans. And because people are like, dude, it's like a total cluster F. Mm. Uh, a lot of these ed- positions aren't filled yet. Filled. Like people, like State Department people are just like, he's like in cafeterias, not knowing what to do with their days. And then Tillerson said he might cut thousands of jobs. But then one part of it is ideological that they want to cut, cut, cut government. Another part is they literally are so incompetent, meaning they have zero experience in running a government that they don't even know how to fill these positions. That's right. Um, and then on top of all that, you have two very different ideological visions. Steve Bannon is a very dangerous ideologue 
who's very kula kulam open about his ideology. President Bannon is you. Yeah, yeah, President if Bannon. You kind of helped get in. Thank you, thank President you. Trump yeah, see, because it pissed him off. And apparently, you were on CNN saying that. According to the leaks, apparently he got pissed off at people saying President Bannon's were removing the National Security Council. Jared Kushner is, look, it's very interesting. We have a schizophrenic president who is fueled by narcissism, right. who has always been interested in his bottom line and supporting his name and his family name. That's right. Who is a globalist, who's a worldly person, who's all about free market because it benefits him. At the same time, he married himself to the ideological vision of Steve Bannon. Far-right, white nationalism, non-interventionism, isolationism, America first. Mm -hmm. And so now you have these two visions. Mm -hmm. An economic vision that benefits Trump and all of his Goldman Sachs and uh, Wall Street friends, including Jared Kushner, with Bannon. If he abandons Bannon, he's going to abandon the Breitbart base. And Bannon teased, like I was waiting for it, and it happened. It happened. Bannon... Somehow Breitbart turned on Kushner. Why do you think that happened? Why was Fire Kushner trending? Trump knows if he abandons Bannon, Breitbart's going to turn on him. Mm -hmm. But if he embraces Bannon, he will literally, like, forego international relations, uh, business, and, like, the, the, the... What he wants to do, and he said this openly, is basically set up his family, specifically Ivanka and Jared, to essentially be the future rulers of America. So... It's a very interesting mix that he like he he has embraced a schizophrenic vision of a Trump brand. Mm. That I'm very curious whether this will be able to sustain itself. I don't think so, man. In the long term, because wow. Bannon and Kushner hate each other. That's right. And and it's like you said. It, it well, it's it's incompetence meets this uh, completely uh, diabolical view of the world. And nafsi arrogance. Nafsi arrogance. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean. You know, you saw the same interview yesterday that came out where he's just like, I miss my old life. I had Who knew? It so good. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Uh, everyone, mother effort. I thought it was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, well, that's his, like, uh, it seems like that's his excuse for everything. Who knew health healthcare well, was so the complicated? The funny thing is, whenever, that, it's, but it's always like, did you know? <laughs> did you know this is hard? Like, it's, it's That's why I think he's honest. I think that that was at his, like, you have oh, to give Trump, is, the, yeah. he was at his most vulnerable Accidental and honest. Accidental right. honesty. Because he's like, yeah. Did you really know? We're like, yes, yes, we knew. And he's like, it's it's really, but the the actual quote, because he he kind of self edited himself, because he's like, you know, I thought it would be. I'm a man for the details. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm all about the details, but still, I thought it would be dot dot dot. What? That's Mm. like what? What did he? I honestly think he believed his own lies in debasement of Obama, and thought here was this young black whippersnapper in the office who probably doesn't do crap. I'm better than him. Who does he think he is mocking me at the White House press dinner? Loki goes to golf, you know, so many times. Meanwhile, Trump, mashallah, has golfed like literally every week at Mar-a-Lago at taxpayer's expense, a for private, uh, like literally real estate uh, like venture, of venture of his yeah. where like all of his, the top 1% hang out. Yeah. Um, and I literally think he, he kind of deluded himself into thinking that mm. the president like Obama is like this lazy black guy, this charlatan. Uh, I'm better than him, mm. and he probably has all these aides and staffs, and the president probably gets his butt kissed by everyone. He delegates to everything, right. and, you know, probably just signs a couple of things here and there, photo ops, mean greets. The legislators do what they do, the judges do what mm. they do, the the peons do what they do. I'll have a bunch of chumchas, and then he comes in, he's like, holy crap! Mm. And this was even before he became, uh, 
inauguration. Remember, he met Obama that day when they were sitting next to each other. And Obama was literally like, "Oh my God!" Like, like the, the it leaked essentially that Trump's team had no idea yeah. that you had to replace. Uh, this entire bureaucracy. So, like, yeah. what are you guys planning to do that? Oh, we have to do that, and that's probably why Obama being responsible and like realizing, okay, I'm still a servant of the American people and the citizen. I can like literally abandon America to this jahil. He's like, let me help you as much as I can that's before right. I go for three months and like you know, I'm like, telling rock you, out, I, rock out in Hawaii. I truly wonder. And then if, intro the right wing narrative of the deep state. Yeah, because that's exactly. I, I AKA wonder though, responsible if, government. If Obama, in the back of his mind, is thinking, "Man, I should have just gone easy on him at the White House correspondence dinner that one," because that's like his supervillain origin story. That's yeah, that's that like triggered the, him. That's they called me Mr. Glass. Yeah, that's just exactly what I was thinking. Two points, <laughs> two points for nerd nerd analogy that I understood completely. I was just waiting for you to say that. And there's gonna be a <laughs> sequel me coming. Mr. Glass, that's yeah, there is a sequel coming called Glass. <laughs> yes, that was what they called me. They used to call me Mr. Glass. <laughs> Like, calm down, man. You're a billionaire. They call me Mr. Glass. <laughs> For the geek deprived, we are talking about... Rent unbreakable. Yeah, rent <laughs> unbreakable. That's Samuel right. Jackson's character at yeah. the end, who we thought was the ally of Spoiler. Bruce Willis, the superhero. It's, it's a 17-year-old Essentially, it, like, reveals that he's a supervillain behind all this murderous acts. And he, like, where Bruce Willis was, like, invincible yeah. and he couldn't die... Literally, Mr. Glass was brittle. He used to break at everything. Yeah. And then he used to, like, as Bruce Willis was walking away, dejected at realizing his friend is the Joker, he said, they used to call me Mr. Glass. He's like, I did it because of the kids. Yeah. They, they called me Mr. They Glass. They called me Mr. Glass. And you can see Trump, if you look at the, the close-ups of that yeah, White House correspondent, true. he just sits there staring, yeah. seething, yeah. not yeah. moving, oh, yeah. no, getting yeah. more orange. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's part of it. But you know what someone else says? Howard Stern, who's his friend. And it, no one picks up on this because there's so much not like there's it, so much you get bombarded. Right? Exactly. Howard Stern said something really insightful. He goes, "I've known Donald Trump for 20 years. He's yeah. been my friend. He came to my wedding. He does not want to do this. He does not have the temperament to do this. He's very sensitive. Mm-hmm. He pays attention to what people, people say about say. him. This is the crowd that he covets." And he says, I don't think this will be good for his mental health based on the criticism yeah. that he's gonna get. And in fact, he probably did it as. This is amazing, and this makes a lot of sense. He did it only to convince NBC to give him a higher raise for The Apprentice. So he's like, if you're not giving me a higher raise for The Apprentice, I'm going to do this. And I guarantee you he did not think he'd win, because if you look at his haul for when he gave, from when he won, yeah. he looked more shocked than anybody. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. He really did. He the really only person did. who wasn't shocked was Bannon. And he, right. well, no, he said as much. He's, he's reversed himself, but he said, I had told my close family like we're probably gonna lose and that's and, rem- and, and being the coward now, yeah. now he's like no, I, we knew right along but you can find the, the but being the coward that he was he said two days before the election the election's rigged it's rigged because he was preparing himself and his base yeah of course for an excuse for the loss but you know what's the kind of the ironic thing is when you when you look at the situation in, in everything going on right now it would have been better for him to lose and in a, in a sense, in terms of Hillary Clinton being able to accomplish anything, it might have been worse for her to win. But so we don't know, though, right? We now don't. You're, now you're playing like the, well, if you go back and kill Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Right, but, but I mean, for, certainly for him, because he would have cashed out on this forever. And he, he would have, like right now, he's having to work. He's a 70-year-old man who's having to work harder than he's ever had to work in his life. But the, and, So this is the thing, right? If... So this is... Okay, look. I'm the, not saying it's a good thing he won, by okay, the way. What's the silver lining with him winning? Let's, let's, let's play this out. Let's play this scenario. He wins. 
and all the people who were like make America great again and were for the ideological vision of Trump and Bannon now they get to see the failure and maybe and I hate saying this because I don't want to be a sadist or a masochist it's like you have kids like Zucky has 400 children you know we have like we're normal people we have like a couple couple yeah yeah Zucky just produces them like every week just like he feeds the biryani another one comes out after midnight like but they're not gremlins they're like all like mogwais they're cute no they are gremlins they're gremlins but they're cute they, mashallah they are gremlins yeah but so the rest of us who are like aren't like you know breed like Zucky you know it's like it's like when you have kids sometimes like you warn your child you warn your child you warn your child and you're like TK like okay you want to fall in the dirt yeah fall in the dirt that's right and I was talking to someone like because there's a cost to this and like and will we withstand the cost and I'm not trying to be glib here some people need to realize look this is their agenda yeah. they hate you they don't care about the rust belt they don't care about the lower class yeah. Yeah. look at all their promises hot air look at how they lie we told you and you're still doing it so now you've made me into a state rights activist, uh, advocate I'm going to live in my blue state where we produce more where the red states take more That's right. and four years from now I'm going to take my you know Prius drive through your town which is going to have crappy roads because no infrastructure and the water which is going to be polluted I'll be drinking my Evian and I'll come to your like rusted diner I'll order a meal just to help you out and I'll give you a $40 tip and I'll ask you is America great again that's a part of me which is like maybe that's the only way some of these people will learn but then another part of me says these people will double down they will sure and yeah. we're in it for the long haul we are and they're like they're not gonna learn I'm talking about the his base which is not the majority of Americans I'm not talking about every single Trump voter right I'm talking about the the, the hardcore the hardcore the, everything is fake news that goes against me yeah. us versus them mm-hmm. zero sum mindset the minorities are taking over America was great again when it was 1953 before Brown versus, uh, Brown versus Board, of Edu- Board of Education mm-hmm. and when I see a Zucky or a Pervez succeed it's not that oh there's another seat at the table these guys took my seat at the table mm. and we're seeing that in France and Netherlands so taking that into account I take that threat very seriously that's right and maybe our job is uh, cripple and contain contain the damage and outbreed sure. them uh, while moving the rest of us forward if Clinton had won I think this would have you know like we never know but if Clinton had won I think it would have been much better for America all the Muslims who say this nonsense that Clinton is the same as Trump is like a dagger in my heart I thought it was crap before and I'm not saying that just to be very very clear about no that. I know but you know all the Muslims who said it so oh, many sure, Muslims sure. said it oh, yeah. and and I was like are you insane mm-hmm. and they still believe that and and I think it wouldn't have been as bad as now but I think they would have almost the same base would have been galvanized even further so putting the last thing I'll say is maybe putting the silver lining on this if there is any putting them in power and saying literally you have the executive branch you have both houses yeah you have governors that's right there's literally no one else you can now run the Supreme Court and and you have the Supreme Court now run this now run this and if we can tilt 10 to 15% of his voters Mm. to sanity then we win we win in the long run. That's right. Well, that's well in the long run, I mean, the changing demographics alone are going are, are to change the... But you're going to radicalize, you're gonna radicalize his base. <laughs> I mean, true, but, but if you shrink the base... That's kind of the point. That's, yeah. that's the point I'm making, though, right, is that big picture, and again, like you said, this is sort of the silver lining view. Yeah. Hillary Clinton wins. We don't... We just kick the can down the curb as far as everything Trump started. Not even started. That Trump took advantage of. Yeah, 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 took advantage of. The wave, yeah, yeah. right? So here it's like... Will the fever break? I don't know, but I think this is this might be the best chance we have for the fever to break because the the GOP is going to have to realize: look, we have to 
run things here. We have to actually get stuff done. We can't just be, you But know. see, they did an audit. See, you say that, and then let me be bad cop. Okay. 2008, McCain Palin. They sure. did an audit, we lost, we gotta change. In 2012 they, they did that, they right? didn't the, auto- the autopsy. Right? Yeah, yeah. Instead, autopsy. instead what happened? Freedom Caucus, Tea Party. But they, they were still the opposition party. But though. now they're not. Right. So now, instead of doubling down and saying, let's reach out to the Muslims, the Mexicans, the women, the, the LGBT, they're like, nope, we're going to double down on non-interventionism, isolationism, white nationalism. Hmm. And it was because based on the Rust Belt and literally how the Electoral College is drawn up and gerrymandering, they just got enough. Now you can put in different factors there. Clinton messed up with her campaign. No doubt. What's her campaign slogan? Does anyone know? Do you remember? I'm with her. Okay, you're, you, most people have no idea. I'm with her. Or love Trump's hate. Which is already bad because it reinforces Trump. His name is in there. Make America Great Again is amazing. What does it mean? Who knows? Make America Great Again makes me feel awesome. She didn't visit Wisconsin. She didn't visit Michigan. I've been been listening to this book, uh, Shattered. Have you guys heard about it? I'm I'm, I'm about to read it. They they destroyed her. But at the same time... But they destroy her campaign. It's not just her. But but they, they don't mince words. Yeah, I mean, it's but it, they they don't ladle the blame on her. They and they they give and they, Sanders and they the praise blame her also. They, they yeah. praise and, her and, also, and they give Sanders a portion of the blame. I mean, it's it's a it's, relatively fair. It's a multiple factors that led to it. Yeah. But at the same time, what I tell people is, she's despite all of her weaknesses, the mistakes that she made, plus Russia, plus Comey, plus fake news, <coughs> plus Sanders, she still wins by three million votes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, and and Trump barely squeezes by, thanks to seventy thousand votes. Around four states. Yeah. If he, if she wins thirty-five thousand of those votes, done, halas. Um, but it goes back to the problem, and we're seeing this in Netherlands with the rise of Geert Wilders. That's right. Le Pen. Le Pen. I'm yes. taking Le Pen seriously, man. I know sure. Macron and all those yeah. Emmanuel Macron. All those people are saying uh, there's no way she'll win. This is like deja vu all over. He dipped beyond, be, uh, beneath sixty yeah. percent, and she's been in this game a long time. She has Austria. Which bear, the Nazi party, the Freedom Party, barely lost. People are like, oh, they lost, barely lost. But Wilders lost too. So this is the positive. They looked at what happened with Trump, realized this is the negative side of, of, of electing a buffoon. And Brexit. And Brexit. Yeah. Lakin, you also see, this is, that's the positive. The negative is, holy crap, Le Pen is number two. Mm-hmm. Sure. And her yeah. ideas, which marginalize us in particular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Muslims and people of color. Oh, yeah. Are now mainstream. So is this, are we witnessing, this is a question to the audience and you guys, like with Obama's election and Hillary Clinton banked on this, almost won but lost, multicultural pluralistic America. We are banking on the demographic destiny, right? We are banking on the the death rattle of white supremacy. But what we're witnessing now is the death march of white supremacy. Hmm. So what's gonna happen after Trump? Hmm. Is it gonna go back to the rattle or is it gonna go back to the march? Well, the question is, is this, uh, you know, in, in stock terms, you call it the dead cat bounce, right? Where do, have you ever heard that term? No, it's the idea is when it bottoms out, it slightly goes up before it crashes again. The dead cat bounce. I don't know who came up with it. There's two points for Zucky for knowing a, a Wall Street. Yeah, I'm kind of impressed with myself. I'm going to I'm gonna call it a day early. I was, I was expecting a Planet of the Apes analogy. But like, Speaking of Planet of the Apes. Oh boy, comes the in with the, yeah, with the dead cat bounce. Did you know the stock market has a dead cat bounce? We're like, dead cat? What? 
goes, ooh. I'm like, you've impressed me. I should Google that just to make sure that is what I said because I'm going to... That is the most impressive <laughs> that is quite analogy impressive. he's I, ever made. My respect for him has actually exponentially increased. And that's why we did this show today is just so that I, I actually uh, Googled uh, uh, stock metaphors waiting. before we were... See, I was expecting like, a, the, like the horror movie, like right when you kill the yeah. boogeyman that's and right. then he comes for the last it's gas. It's like when Ripley used the, the power loader. Yeah. No. <laughs> sorry. But great. Anyway, go back to the de- yeah, cat bounce. No, but that's what I'm. That's what yeah. I, I. You're I, answering uh, with that's God's my question. I, 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 I do believe which that. Which is, I, is it a rattle or a, I, a march? I, so I why know. do you believe that? Yeah. Why? Because I. When it comes down to it, I believe in the decency of the majority of people. I mean, that's that's my experience. Fifty-four percent of white America voted for Trump. And fifty-four percent right, white women. But, white women after the yeah, accident. You know, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna draw on a, an experience in my own life, and I, I can't remember. Maybe I've told this. I can't remember. But um, somebody who I know, who was you know one of the uh, administrators at my high school, and has ended. I've been very close. She's an older lady. I've been close with her and her family for a long time, and um, she before maybe a month before the election, she's like, I you know I just I can't vote for Hillary. I'm gonna vote for Trump. And I was mortified. I was I was crushed because mm. I was like I was like, you know me. You know what he said about Muslims and this. And that. I, this is somebody who even my wife knows. And I mentioned this to my wife, and I mean she started to cry. Like mm. it was that's how much it hurt her, you mm. know. And so I was kind of I I and this this is in the context of a Facebook conversation. So I just chimed in. I was like, well, yeah, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but you know, Trump is somebody who's said that I'm not American enough. I'm not the right kind of American. Mm-hmm. My kids are, you know, and I kind of laid it out and mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not intending to change your mind, but here's what I think. Anyway, she cast her vote however she did. I'm assuming she voted for Trump. About a month later, let me, about two weeks after the election, I just ha- it just so happened that at Menlo College I was asked to give a talk about the American Muslim experience yeah. actually. So I'd posted a flyer about that on my Facebook and she saw that picture and she posted, she shared it on her Facebook. Mm-hmm. Even though she doesn't live here, she lives... Some, you know, just sharing it. And so, so somebody on her Facebook was like, why are you sharing Muslim stuff? Like somebody who's clearly anti-Muslim. And she said, uh, Zeki's like family to me. He's like a son to us. So I don't have anything against him. I don't have anything against Muslims. And then her her daughter chimed in and was like, you know, don't don't talk bad about Muslims. You don't know. You know, and, and so I that's a, something that I really... I'm carrying that with me because I yeah. truly believe that that's emblematic of the majority of Trump voters that they voted for Trump for whatever their reasons were and they found a way to justify his his either his sexism or his racism or his ignorance you name it there's any number of things that would disqualify yeah. him that weren't but when it comes down to it given something immediate people will make the right choices and that's I bank on that but you know what? I'm a, I'm a teacher. I bank on people's decency because I see that decency all the time. I see people helping each other. I see people working with each other. I see people working through their differences. And so that has sort of formulated my, my view, you know? Can I give a bad cop response to yeah, that? Please do. And now, I'm not saying I disagree with you, but it's just hypothetical. Those same people, their need to feel great again. Yes. Their need to feel safe their need to have the illusion of greatness hmm. came at the expense and the marginalization of millions of their fellow Americans. And True. when doing the balancing test, 
I agree with you. Many Trump supporters, I, I talk to them, they don't have horns on their heads, they don't have tails, they're not Shaitan incarnate, pretty nice people. They said, yeah, I see what you're saying, Zaki, the Muslim son of immigrants who eats Mexican taco food, which is halal. But... That's all what? on my business card, by the way. But, but you know what? Not enough for me. <laughs> Still going to go for Trump. Yeah. yeah. And which that's, is my experience with yeah, this. And that's something where which we have to contend with. And I think moving forward, uh, there's like, okay, so this is my, like we're doing hypotheticals. But look, I agree with you. I'm the optimist as well. And like taking from the Sunnah of Prophet Muhammad, like, you know, he could have easily come back to Mecca when he did after years of being oppressed, exiled. Right. When he and returned he, victorious. Yes, he returned victorious right. and he had the upper hand right. strategically. If I was his counselor, and this is why I, I, would, I should never be a Sahaba and never will be, I'd be like, kill these mother effers. Prophet Muhammad said, get that one. Remember that one? Kill him. Let me well, kill him. Did, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Can I strangle him? Yeah. Which is why I'm never going to be a Sahabi, and I hope <laughs> one day to get in the Jannat. Uh, but strategically, that's a smart move yeah, to make. That's right. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. If you were like an advisor to a king, and you said you're coming back, and you're in hostile territory where these people will probably turn against you because they have in the back, murder them. Mm-hmm. Instead, which is very pivotal, and I try to learn from this, uh, and many other examples is he instead responded in a better way appealed to their better nature and through time won over most some of them were still hypocrites right. and I think we're in an interesting situation where and if I you know it's, some, it's a podcast where you guys get Muslimy I think Muslims as American oh. citizens and as people who are literally placed at the fault lines hmm. of many of the discussions and topics that will f- shape the future of America I mean if you think about it we're now a major player that's right whether or not we're going to be used as a token uh, a stereotype a club by other people or whether or not we're going to actually emerge to control our own narrative it remains to be seen I hope the latter because the former is being done unintentionally by some people as well oh we're going to piggyback on the Muslims you guys fight the fight African Americans have been doing this their entire lives right Mm -hmm. Um, but if we can invest some of that spiritual Meaning carrying knowledge. piggybackers. Not, piggybackers. Uh, not piggybacking on... They, yeah, no, they... I just yeah, want to they, clarify. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, my take is this. We, we are in a position now where if we can resist and fight and be strategic and, and, you know, acknowledge those folks who probably will always want our marginalization, contain them, but then use our better natures hmm. and our spiritual culture and etiquette and histories mm. to heal hearts... That's where I want to move us forward. And I know I've pivoted the conversation, but what concerns me, what concerns me deeply is this new, this new form of progressive and even conservative activism, which is completely devoid of spirituality. Yeah. Mm, and I'm deeply I, troubled by this and for my children. It's funny that no, you, I am because s- I had wanted to yeah, pivot I, in this direction. Exactly. So, so thank you. Thank you no, very but like, much. You know, how no, do we, I, so how do we pivot? Because like, you have, like, look, your friend, she went to bed for you. Yeah. She's not shaitan. Even though she voted for Trump, what do you do with her? Uh, is there a space in your mental, spiritual imagination for a community that includes people who disagree with you? What do you do to people who disagree with you? Do you treat them in a good way, uh, a decent way, or my way or the highway? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is just the conversation I'm trying to have is this type of activism that I see, especially with fake news, with media, with social media, with Facebook, with Twitter. My way or the highway? Uh, screw you. Uh, uh, my way at all costs, absolutism, and you're a kafir, a sellout, or a whore if you go against me. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, I just want to make sure yeah, yeah. you're speaking specifically about activism within the Muslim community. I think in general. In general, but let's just, if you could, if we could, you know, lean in even further 
and speak specifically about activism within the Muslim community. Yeah. Would you say that that is sort of indicative of and um, yeah, indicative of what is happening? I see Islam being used primarily as an identity marker, which yes. is perfectly fine. And I see us using the Muslim label to, of course, as a political instrument, which is fine. But I see no spiritual, I don't see the spiritual engine behind it. I don't see a spiritual flavoring behind it. And, and yes, within Muslim communities, I'm deeply concerned based on how I see certain types of activism on college campuses, on social media in particular, devoid of that warmth. And, yeah. and you can speak to this. And, and That's I'd what I'm like saying. Wajahid is, I think, almost you, uniquely because qualified to speak on, on this. Because you've been on the front yeah. lines, if you will, of yeah. this, of, of quote-unquote Muslim activism because 9-11 sort of put you on the front lines. MSA That's president. Right. You, yeah, yeah. MSA you told the story. Yeah. yeah, refer back to the previous episode with, with, with Wajahid yeah. where he talks so, about that. But, so, yeah. so from then to now, I mean, you've... You've from then to, you've literally gone gray watching the changes. You know, I have gone gray. Even in my views, I've gone gray because I was gray, yeah. I was part of that type of <laughs> yeah. absolutist, all or nothing. Oh, yeah. There you go. Rah rah rah. Yeah. Anyone who disagrees with you is like either like a sellout. If someone is more aggressive than you, they're an extremist. Mm-hmm. If someone's not as aggressive as you, they're a sellout. Mm-hmm. There is one way to do something. That's right. If you work in corporate America, you're a sellout. If you work in the government, you're a sellout. If you do X, you're a sellout. If you're an activist, you're a lefty sellout. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Um, and this type of absolutism and this type of uh, absolutist language we see manifested on a national scale with, 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 with what's happening in America. We've already discussed, touched upon in the last 30 minutes. But within Muslim communities, yeah. you know, there's only one way to be an authentic Muslim. This is the way. Yeah. And if you don't do it, you're a sellout. And first of all, I think it's strategically unwise and unsound. Uh, number two, when political ideologies and slogans become the defining aspect of your Islamic identity, it scares me. Because yeah. I'm like, dude, this is not the sixth pillar of my Islam. Like, no offense. Whatever your political ideologies are, right? like you. whether you're pro-Bernie or pro-Clinton or Thank like, you. like this, I haven't given Baya to <laughs> Sheikh Bernie or Sheikh Clinton or Sheikh Trump. Yeah. I mean, like, seriously. Right, right. Absolutely. A- and, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm motivated by morals and values. Yeah. And as such, that's what's going to guide me. Uh, and then when we see people turn to each other, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then I see specifically like this type of, like even if you see like now most Muslims are quote unquote progressive, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you doing to reach out to people in the Rust Belt? Yeah. Or those who are might agree with you eight out of ten times, but two out of the ten times they don't agree with you. But I, I, but let's talk about that for a moment. When you say most Muslim activists, let's say, are progressive, and we don't have statistics, maybe whether that that, that would it's necessarily validate it. But I think it was. I think it, 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 it seems sound. It, it seems pretty sound. Exactly. We went from a community that not even 20 years ago was lock, stock, and barrel Republican. Right. Lock, stock, and barrel. Block we voted. voted, block voted in 2000. Except, except, except black Muslims. Except black Muslims, no doubt. This is, but I, I would also uh, push back, in, or not push back, but, but, but just sort of say that the reason I'm talking about the immigrant community is because I think a lot of the, uh, the, the kind of new activism that we're seeing are it's, it's children, of immigrant. Immigrant. It's it's children of immigrants. People right. like you and I. People like the three of us here. So... What concerns me more is this, like you said, the absolutism and all that stuff, which I think has been there since you and I were in the trenches, and I'm probably even older than you. So back in the day, you know, back in those early People days, listen to this well. thing we're like on our deathbed. <laughs> <laughs> like, but no, no, three, but people, three who, people who came, 
who emerged into the activist scene vis-a-vis MSA yeah, yeah, yeah. on the college campus. That's what I mean. Which was not entirely spiritually healthy, I would say. Yeah, exactly. But would you say that there was at least some sort of level of, 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 of literacy about Islam that predicated you or upon which you predicated your activism should I say you want to lean in so so much that we like kiss the microphone I think one of the great dangers and I've had conversation with people who are activists themselves that's why I I say you're uniquely qualified not because you're demonstrative of that there's we don't have spiritual literacy yes Hmm. there is a huge deficit of spiritual literacy amongst our activist communities and our activists for our activists God bless them and for our community leaders and organizers yeah. around the, the trenches. But you know what they tell me, man? They're like, yeah. I'm spiritually drained. I'm not really that religious. Mm-hmm. People expect me to do X, Y, and Z. My love life's a mess. Hmm. Uh, I don't get to spend time with my kids. And yet now you have to pose as a s- superhero when you don't have the, either the spiritual literacy, the grounding, the tarbiyat, or the community to help you. Then we get to these MSAs. It's politics first, politics second, politics third, politics fourth, politics fifth, yeah. spirituality maybe never. Yeah. But, you know, I was just reading the other day on, on uh, uh, about, uh, I want to say this was an article, about somebody who was ahead of an MSA who realized or came to a, a realization in their heart that they didn't believe in the faith and they were atheist. Yeah, that's a lot of them. And yeah. they felt still compelled to... Be MSA president? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Which, look, who am I and to I'm, judge I'm anyone, not right? Well, no, any judgment on that, but it, it reminds me in, in this context, and, and I've been I've been thinking about this for, uh, and which is why I'm glad you went where you went, Wajahad. Which is, is an, there's an amorphism by um, you know uh, Dr. T.J. Winters, um, Abdul Hakim Murad, which to the effect says that the, that that the new kalima or the new um, you know article, uh, the yeah. testimony of faith. I think yeah, yeah. the new testimony of faith of the Muslim advocates is a- advocate is. Not the organization. Not the organization. Sorry. They're fine. The Muslim activist is that there is no God, but uh, I'm sorry, there is no religion but Islam, and that Muhammad is the messenger of Islam. Kind of parse that, if you will. Mm. Where again, it's a religion void of God. It's a religion void of of, of spirituality, if you will, of connecting with the divine. It's religion. For political expediency, yeah, it's, it's, it's religion for as a political idea. It's a religion identity. as it's religion as a political vehicle where politics are in the driver's seat and religion is in the passenger seat, and spirituality is barely hanging on like T one thousand with its hook in the back, like like dra- being dragged around, that's right? Great, yeah, and which is fu- some people say that's what I want, which is fine. Right. But I'll give in context. Right. Look at no, but I'm sorry, you, you were you were talking about the MSA scene. No, and I think that's right. No, no, that's right, true, man. But look, even like go back the reason that. why it's important is look if you look at civil rights movement. Yes, you had diversity of African American experiences, but you can't discount the fact of religious Religion. communities and spirituality and Martin Luther King and John Lewis, uh, regardless of their foibles in life, you know, Martin Luther King and whatnot, but still, mm. they spoke with a religious language and a spiritual language which healed hearts. Oh, absolutely. Malcolm X. Malcolm X. Gandhi, despite whatever, still, like, do you see, I'm saying there's so much power when you draw authentically from our religious texts and fuse it with spirituality, that moves hearts to this day. There's a reason why even the most watered down Rumi translation by Coleman Barks are like one of our one wins for Muslims, right? <laughs> and I tell Muslims this, I think about it, like listen, suppose you have a friend, Muslim, non-Muslim, atheist, whatever, and they're like, listen man, I just need emotional healing. I just need someone to help me. Hmm. I know with like the Buddhists, I can go to the Dalai Lama, there's like a rabbi I can go to, like who would I send them 
Like, can you name me five Muslims who I'm sending to? Just for spiritual healing, who can just talk to me and make me feel like a better human? I'm like, dude, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, ask a friend. I think that's deeply problematic. I, yes. Like, you know, I think the fact that we have abandoned a deep spiritual tradition which can heal hearts and, and, and motivate people and win people over uh, what we've seen through 1,400 years of civilization. Like, I'll give you one quick example. Like, India. Uh, you go to this day to India, uh, you go to Ajmer Sharif. There's a langar where they feed people daily. Uh, that langar was established by Muinuddin Chishti. Mm. Uh, the great Sufi the saint. The great Sufi saint who went there as like literally a pauper was given a, uh, he said, a given an order to go there. And literally he said, my entire job was to serve people. I served my enemies. I served idolaters. I served people who were poor. I just served people I, I, and I served humanity. And then to this day you go there. No one talks smack about Muslims. If you talk smack about Muslims, especially like Ahl Bayt or Prophet Muhammad or uh, Ajmer, like if you talk about Khaja Gharib Nawaz Mohini the Chishti, Sikhs and Hindus will beat you up. Oh, yeah. I'm just giving you an example, like what sustains you. Yeah, exactly. I think politics, Muslim, I'm talking about our communities in particular. Yeah. Politics without that spiritual engine is like a hollow husk. And I see people burning out and I'm afraid for our communities who get burned out. And if you use Islam purely as a political bludgeon, mm. I'm using the word bludgeon, my way or the highway, mm. uh, I worry what that does to the religion. I worry what that does to religious communities. Mm. And I hope, and this is a test for all of us, man. I just hope if we draw into that spiritual well and get that spiritual literacy and infuse that with our politics, I actually think you'll have more Americans uh, who will come to you. And I say this to progressives. I said this last week. It was like... Uh, being interviewed and like a non-Muslim just a progressive thing I'm like you guys cede the ground of religion to the right wing the right wing has cynically used it successfully that's right uh, to mobilize so many Americans of faith whereas we as people of faith are on this moral high ground on most of these issues hmm. and yet you mock us and ridicule us where you're missing out allies and whereas religion and spirituality are used authentically as a language to articulate much of our problems mm. dude you can mobilize so many people mm. and I think heal people and I think this is where like, listen, man, let's, let's be honest. Like, you have the Ikhwani card being played. You have the Salafi card being played. You got the Deobandi card being played. You have the pro-Erdogan card being played. You have the anti-Erdogan card being played. Awesome. All politics, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, Agreed. And so, like, what just, where is that spiritual harmony in humanity that exists within Islam that will allow you to be like Prophet Muhammad to go back as king but not murder the people who tried mm. to murder you? And in fact... Pardon the people who hired assassins to kill your uncle, and then they came and ate your uncle's liver, and you pardoned them. Yeah. Yeah. If indeed that is our model <laughs> as Muslims, the Prophet Muhammad do you see that type of love, compassion, forgiveness modeled by our leaders? I'll throw it out to you and Zaki, and ourselves. I can be better. I need to be better. What? I think I think my my response would be I maybe it's for the best that this is something that we're sort of I mean it's just something that we're going to have to work through uh in the public sphere and yeah. you know I I think I think that what we've seen in in the last uh, using 911 as a rough starting point from from then to now we've seen an emergence of what what it means to be a muslim in America and what you know and that's the uh, uh, a dichotomy that we've talked about on this show a lot and I think you know there, there's going to be people redefining that or, mm. or defining that at all I think 
that there's a healthy aspect to all of that right. potentially. I mean, the, I think I think this the the notion of of uh, the the lack of spirituality is something real, but I think that's that's something that people are just going to have to find on their own to some extent. Fine with that. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, but to you, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know how to respond to that. I mean, I, I think there are people who kind of demonstrate that spirit, but I mean, we're not here to like drop names specifically or give examples, but I, I mean, I think there or are. I'm asked I mean, anyone. Yeah, 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 exactly. Everyone's on a journey. I took a bird's eye view of this. I, no, and, and, I, I, think, I, and I think it's that. a very apt view. I, 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 I do. And it reminds me again in this context of uh, something that I remember Professor Jackson remarking, right, I think right after 9-11, and, and he was talking about how pre 9/11 the Muslim community was a, a, a you know was an ideological play, playground, mm. and I think now what 16 years since 9/11, I think we still live in that same not the same ideological playground. We've just traded the Ikhwan. I mean, people still play the Ikhwan Salafi, uh, you know, Hizbut Tahrir card or whatever was the case pre 9/11. That's still there now, but we've tried. We, I think we've 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 also seen the emergence of a new kind of ideological playground where so what I find fascinating is where things that used to be glacial within the Muslim community in terms of like coming to terms with okay what are what, what do we as a community feel on issue X or issue Y or issue Z right <coughs> things would and, and and it became almost like a, by way of like a joke where it was like okay you, you, you know you go to like 10 Muslim conferences and at every Muslim conference, the question was, is music permissible? Is it, is it permissible the, to vote? The heavy-duty questions, right, the right, existential right, right, questions. Yeah, existential questions. <laughs> but, no, no, it's fine. So, and, 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 I, and, and you almost was like, like you, I mean, you were, you were sick and tired of it, and you were just like, can't we get past these issues? Well, I think we have gotten past a lot of these issues. Yeah, sure. But what's happened, though, is we've traded it for this sort of expediency on, 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 on things that are far more complicated than is music permissible. So, for example... Or is voting haram? Or is no, voting, sure. m- voting haram? Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, calculation <coughs> versus moon sighting. Uh, et cetera. I mean, ad, ad nauseum. Those right, are the oldies the now. That's, That's like what I you mean, the oldies. You know. <laughs> but now I feel He's traumatized, though, like yeah, us. But now I feel as though, like, <laughs> to go back to the point about how Muslim advocates largely... Um, uh, Activists. Why do I keep yeah. saying We have that? nothing against the Muslim advocates, a non-profit <laughs> based in the Bay Area. They're doing good work. Bervais seems to hate you, but Zaki and I don't. I don't. We don't know what hap- we don't, so, what's happening between you and Perez. We hope it's amicable. We hope you work it out. <laughs> Have some chai, work it out, go to Shalimar's, break some bread. Muslim I'm advocates, so I'll be sorry. Here to- Farhana, Fatima, team, Humer, I love you guys. No, nothing. Okay, Muslim activists, <laughs> activists. who are progressive is that... <clears throat> We have embraced the pro- the the progressive agenda, as it were, the the with, broader progress- the broader progressive agenda, capital P, let's say, right, without really having conversation within our own like within our own say intelligentsia. Funny you say that because I have a New York Times article coming about that next week. Oh, nice. Well, and we just go. embraced it, you know, <laughs> yeah, literally just without a this. real conversation. Where where like where were the conversations around? Muslims and and or Islam and LGBTQ uh, issues. Where was the conversation on Islam and issue whatever? Right. Well, so maybe so with that please. in mind, you can kind of so yeah. The, the, the question the question is is that is, what your New York Times? Well, it was basically kinda, it, was, it was to examine this, right? Okay. So basically, it's it's written and the editor likes it, so inshallah, it should be out within a week or two. Wonderful. Um, by default, the Republican Party has vomited us, despite, as you articulated, the immigrant Muslims, for the most part, voted for it. You know, a lot of us love the tax breaks that they gave. 
the use and abuse of God and religion and morality, let's be honest, really appeal to our parents. Yeah. Uh, pro, like, okay, we're pro-life, even though we're very libertarian on this issue, we're like, okay, pro-life, anti-gay marriage, all this stuff worked. <clears throat> and also hard, tough on crime yeah. go against the blacks yeah. let's be honest yeah. hmm. we're on drugs yeah. we're but all this was pre-9-11 yeah. we're not black then post-9-11 oh crap we're still not black we're not white we either empathize. we're not white either right um, and we never will be and I mean, now uh, with, 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 the, with the, the narrative journey of this conversation right they, mm. the Republican Party has doubled down and in fact has used us as the piñata along with undocumented immigrants to assert part of their agenda yeah. uh, so now are we progressive by default mm. where most of us now feel like we have to go to Democrat party hmm. well what does that mean well what does even Democrat mean or progressive mean this is being investigated right now by Bernie Bernie brothers and Clinton and That's everyone right. else right but A will we allow ourselves to be used as a vehicle or a club or a pawn by political parties like we did with the Republican parties? Right. Are we allowing ourselves to be used by progressive parties? Right. And have we had these conversations not only with progressive but also within ourselves that, well, suppose I'm, and this was what the article teases out, yeah. suppose I have traditional social values. Yeah. I, you know, I'll give you an example which triggered some Muslims. Uh, progressives mocked and ridiculed Mike Pence for saying he's not going to have dinner with someone else who's not his wife. Yeah. I have a lot of Muslim friends who are like, dude, I have female coworkers, but my culture and my understanding of my spirituality is that I respect my wife and I feel uncomfortable to have dinner one-on-one with a woman. Not because I disrespect the woman, but I'm coming from a religious place where like, you know, I'm just not that, it's not, I'm not kosher with it. That's right. It's out of respect. That's right. And so I had some friends who were like, look how they mocked and ridiculed us. Like, I'm not down with progressives, but mm. where else am I going to go? Yeah. Secondly, <laughs> suppose, let's talk about the gays. The gays. Okay, I'm fine with gay marriage, but if you're asking me to do a progressive litmus test and say that I have to say gay marriage is halal in Islam and that's the only way you'll accept me as a progressive, I don't know if I'm down with that. Thank you. If you say I'm pro-choice, we're very libertarian on this issue, most Muslims are, but if you say that you have to say that like abortion is acceptable and you have to do it, I don't think I'm down with that. Or some progressives, you mock and ridicule people of faith. We're not monkeys. We're not stupid. We're very sophisticated. And you allow people like Bill Maher to be at least one of the leaders of one form of liberalism. There you well, go. I find him to be extreme in his views of Islam. Where, do I, where am I going to fit in? Hmm. And this is a conversation which I think where I want Muslims to not be sidekicks and stereotypes. There you go. This is where I feel like if they're using our poster in the million, uh, you know, Women's March. Sure. If, the, 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 the woman with the hijab on. Yeah. Uh, if they're Khizr Khan's beating up Donald Trump with the Constitution, mm. uh, you know, if Hasan Minaj and other of our friends are doing this, A, alhamdulillah, the tent is being opened, you're welcoming us. But are we the protagonists of that narrative? Are we side by side helping allies? Are we carrying their water? Are they carrying our water? And what's the litmus test, of, if any? And this is the question for Muslims. Because I said the same thing question I'll get for Republicans. What will come to a point? What's your breaking point? Yeah. Where progressives, whatever they be, or Democratic Party says, we'll accept you. But you have to say, you have to give up the Palestinian cause. Hmm. We'll accept you. But you have to celebrate and embrace gay sex, gay marriage, gay everything. We'll accept you. Nothing against gay sex. I'm just giving you examples, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. For the gay Muslims listening. I'm just giving you, and they know this too. They've lived through this right. from both angles, right? right? Three angles. People of color being LGBT and Muslim. Yeah. Uh, we'll accept you, but you have to condemn ISIS all the time. 
We'll accept you, mm. but you have to fight against FGM all the time. Mm-hmm. We'll accept you, but then you have to say that the Quran is not the word of God and reform it. Now, this is what I'm worried about. I find many Muslims who have now taken on progressive and progressive politics as their identity say, well, okay, okay. I'll jettison X, Y, and Z. Exactly. And suppose you purvey say, I don't want to jettison X and Y, mm-hmm. but I'm still progressive. Mm-hmm. Will they accept you? That's right. Wow. And that's the article. That's, that's well, and and you you don't you don't know when that's coming. Probably but. within two weeks. Okay, so so by the time you're listening to this. Uh, uh, it no, it'll 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 still be coming. So we have so we got uh, you know. Let's see what happens with the final edit. But I interviewed uh, Keith no. Ellison. I interviewed uh, uh, an actress who's Pakistani Muslim LG lesbian who talks about how she gets it from both progressives and Muslims. I, I interviewed uh, Shahid uh, Amanullah, who's been on your podcast before. I interviewed an African American imam. I uh, interviewed a, a Republican who turned Democrat. So I tried to get. Uh, I tried to get like the nice, yeah. But these exactly what I mentioned Excellent. across the board, kind of a se- sampler's seem to be the concerns. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wow. Can't okay. wait for that piece. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Um, well, I, and uh, we're just about at the end of our time. So, uh, I, first of all, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Oh my gosh, this is this is we, uh, we've been trying to get you back on, and this has been worth the wait. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Thank so wait, wait, so we much. went from uh, Pervez uh, murdering uh, Zucky with passive aggressive. Heather by the uh, daggers. Yeah. Pervez trying to murder well, Muslim we started advocates. With Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> yeah, Laverne and Shirley. Company. Yeah, Laverne and Shirley, passive aggressive Heather by the anger. <laughs> Potential, if we were ISIS, what we would be. Yeah. Uh, Trump's 100 days, Muslim spirituality, and Muslim progressive. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Thank cool. you for that nice little roadmap. Of, I know. Uh, where, 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 where have we been? Uh, but in terms of where you've been, my friend, uh, last we left our listeners, you were. Uh, you were at you were at Al Jazeera. He was yeah. at Al Jazeera. So maybe you know we're not going to make this into a narrative episode, but just kind of tell us where you've been since then, and where you are now, and where you are planning to be so next year. He, he has two kids now, or as I call him, amateur. Yeah, yeah, amateur. <laughs> so Zaki's like, wait till the sixty seventh, then call me. Zaki's <laughs> children could populate, like literally. You see the end of Interstellar? They just sent Zaki's kids with <laughs> Anne Hathaway. <laughs> The camera didn't pan right. If the camera pan right, was lucky with all his kids to repopulate the rest of humanity. Uh, it's true, though. Uh, Al Jazeera worked out well for the time being. Yeah. One day we should come on. And I'll tell you the. I'll do an audit of Al Jazeera and how it failed. Because oh, it's a great, great story. Now that we're removed enough, I could tell you what went wrong. Mm. Alhamdulillah, well, life works out. Six months before Al Jazeera America pulled the plug, my contract was up. Shahid Amanla, who was a guest of yours, and Quentin Viktorovitz, poached me and invited me. They said, listen, we're starting the social entrepreneurial hub called Affinis Labs. I was the first, like, halal guinea pig in their first hackathon. And our idea, like, won the People's Choice Award. And they said, like, listen, we just, literally, they're like, we want to just help people and Muslim change agents and Muslim entrepreneurs. We got stuck in the government sector. We're not in the private sector. Come help us out. So I've been there for a year. Alhamdulillah, we've worked with Facebook and Google and UNDP and done some lot of good initiatives. But that's one job. The night job is I signed a contract. It sounds much better than it does, but Pakistani uncles love it. New York Times op-ed contributor, which just eight to ten articles a year uh, or more. And alhamdulillah, my editors really like me. And so I pitched, I literally pitched this Muslim progressive thing. They're like, that sounds like a great idea. And I ran with it. So uh, is that your space, kind of the Muslim American? No, I can do a lot of stuff. Oh, so they have one. They have one. They want me to like. They, she said, "You can do the Muslim stuff and American stuff, but you're also a dad, and you do a lot of funny stuff about being a dad and a husband. Can you write about that?" I said, "Awesome." That's fantastic. Uh, so I have a Father's Day piece coming out. 
uh, also in June. Father's Day is in June, right? Yes. Uh, See, I don't know. Our, our Maham and station is so low. Yeah, like, we don't even know. <laughs> we're we're yeah. Even Father's Day becomes Mother's Day, as it should, <laughs> because mothers do everything. It's true. <clears throat> I can vouch. That will get me three husband equity points. Huffington Post do a couple of stuff for them. That's, you know, they they invited me to come and do videos for them during the campaign trail. Yeah. That worked out well. Good stuff. Speaking agency that turned out well. I'm finally gonna write a book. Wow. I, so I'm going to start in May, inshallah. I owe, I owe my agent a book. And fiction. Then, <clears throat> nonfiction first. Okay. Then fiction. And then, you know, consulting has taken off. The one good thing I'll say is, and this is for readers to have hope, because we try to, like, be honest, and listeners, excuse me, to have hope, is we are at a remarkable fault line uh, for America, where I think crisis breeds opportunity, and our faith commands us to be hopeful, even in the darkest of days. We should always be hopeful. Like, you're seeing people reach out to Muslims. You're seeing people care. You're seeing people empathize. You're seeing people who want to help us. Like, we should take this opportunity. But if we sit on our butts and do nothing, like, don't expect anything to change. And I said this at the open. I was speaking like an hour ago. We're living literally, and this last thing I'll say is that my uncle, and I'm an uncle, so I get to give like uncle declarations and khutbahs. Like, everyone's waiting for someone to help them. And I'm yeah. like, you are the most privileged community of Muslims, like top five on earth. That's right. Living in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley with seven of the top ten most wealthy zip codes in America. Everyone's looking to you mm. to solve the problem. Yeah. If you're telling me that as one of the most privileged people on earth, you are unable to come up with a solution, we should just kill ourselves. Like, immediately. Don't kill yourself. Uh, but literally, it's like, it's that, right. it's that pivot point in our lives. And I had a conversation with a friend of ours our age. He's like, dude, like, I have an idea for like, media empowerment. Like, what, like, who's going to do it? I'm like, you're going to do, do it. it. You're going to fund it, and I'm going to give you the idea. Hmm. And he's like, whoa, we're like our parents. We're like, yep, we're like our parents. Our parents came here. They were waiting for their parents to come in and help. They realized no help's going to come. The cavalry is deported. Uh, <laughs> we're the ones making the masjids. We're the, they're the ones who made the masjids. They're the ones who made the halal butcher shops. We're the ones making the scholarships now. We're the ones who have to run for local office. We're the ones who have to join the ACLU. Yeah. We're the ones who have to come up with an amazing legal case that can change the face of America. We're the ones who have to encourage our children to become storytellers. We're the ones who have to direct the movie. We're the ones who have to use all of our money and literally lure the politicians to do what we want because that's how the game works. Right. And we're the ones who have to emerge as protagonists of the American narrative. And if you sit on your sidelines, we have failed our generation and failed Zucky's 642 kids. It's true. And, and they're, they're, they'll judge you. And we're the ones who have to make the best podcast in history. So, yeah, there we go. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll just, echoing yeah. what you said, I mean, and this is something you posted about before. I mean, uh, when you talk about progress in, in areas of representation, I mean, you bought a Riz Ahmed Star Wars action figure oh, yeah. for your kid, yeah. you know, and I, I got to experience that with my kids. We're, I'm watching Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine with my kids, and there's Dr. Bashir. Yeah. yeah. And I said, you know, that he's, that's, his name is Dr. Bashir, and my, my eight-year-old, he said, really? that's, his, that's his name on the show? His name on the show? Like, couldn't believe it, you know? And, and uh, granted, that show is like 20 years old, but the truth is that these little things, just, just seeing representation, seeing that you're, you are a part of the tapestry and that you were, your narrative is uh, consequential mm. uh, I think uh, you know I, I think we will see the dividends of it and uh, I, I will end on an optimistic note because I think that uh, there are good things ahead as long as we keep our wits about us dude we're mashallah we're the most privileged people on earth sitting in a Silicon Valley convention center after we just had coffee uh, where 
Pakistani Muslim entrepreneurs are celebrating their success yeah. and were able to launch this podcast. And so life is still good compared right. to most people. That's right. There we go. And so, Wajahat, if people are, are looking for you online, I know you have a very healthy social media presence. Where can people find you? At Wajahat Ali. I just wanted to say that. Uh, on Twitter. Uh, that's it. You could just Facebook me. Fo- follow him on Twitter if you aren't already. You're going to get yeah. fascinating insights, great articles. I'm very easy to reach for the most part. Yeah. But don't take advantage of that. Bastards. He's, he's a good guy. <laughs> uh, thank you, Wajahat. And uh, Pervez, you want to close this out? Yeah, no, I, I echo Zucky's sentiment. Uh, thank you, and it was such a treat to As have well you, you back. Should. Yeah, it's a good sentence. <laughs> Wait, do you still hate Muslim advocates? We... <laughs> Let's clarify. <laughs> For the record, I do not have anything against Muslim advocates. They do great work. Um, but no, thank you, Wajad, for being on. It, it, it was it was great, amazingly insightful, humorous, and, uh, and everything and, and, and everything in between. And there's a preview yeah. of more to come because uh, you've you've teased what you're going to talk about on your next appearance. There you so go. We, we there you go. Counting the full scoop on Al Jazeera. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, thank you for listening. And if you want to find us online, uh, you can uh, uh, reach us on facebook.com slash diffusecongruence. You can email comments, suggestions, questions our way, diffusecongruence at gmail.com. And you can find us wherever you find your fine podcasts, such yeah. as Stitcher Radio and Google Play and iTunes. And your name? And Pervez is on Twitter and yeah. uh, uh, some long title right. that I can't remember. And I'm, I'm at uh, Zeki's Corner, Z-A-K-I-S Corner. That's also It's like the AP there. interview with Donald but Trump. There's like a lot of parts it's, that are inaudible. It's, it's inaudible. That's it's inaudible. And, and inaudible is your... <laughs> yeah, that's basically... Is that what he was doing? Yeah. Right. Wait, who's, who's, wait, it's the final question. So who's Archie Punjabi and who's Juliana Margulies? <laughs> I, well, I don't know. I, I mean, contended you're Archie. I'll, I'll take it. She's a uh, seems like a nice person. <laughs> Mashallah. What does your better do? He's the Archie Punjabi of podcasts. What the hell has your son done? <laughs> and with that, thanks with for that. listening. This has been Diffuse Congruence. <laughs>